kept saying the man dealt a bad hand. So deep in the night, when all the world is quiet, someone came and took her lover's life. Welcome, everybody, to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Those awesome tunes you just heard are courtesy of Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. I always talk about EVPs being my favorite type of evidence, and it's true. I go crazy for the good old electronic voice phenomena. Another thing I really can't get enough of is video and photograph evidence. When I see something in a picture that I cannot explain that I didn't see with my naked eye, but it's clearly there, and sometimes literally looking right back at me as there's a face looking back at me at times, it's like Christmas. Like EVPs, this type of evidence is very, very special. It's been known to turn some skeptics into believers. It leaves you wanting more. Sometimes it leaves you with more questions than answers and demands you go back to the location and find out more and dig deeper. A picture is worth a million words sometimes. I myself have collected a decent amount of photographic evidence. To this day, I still look at them in awe with wonder and amazement. My friend, Tim Skolion, is joining us this week. He is a photographer who specializes in fine art photography. He spends much of his time at the very haunted Colonial Williamsburg, where he conducts tours. He has collected quite the plethora of photographic evidence here throughout Colonial Williamsburg. He's a ghostographer, if you will, and the pictures he's captured are absolutely mind-blowing. Tim knows there's others out there with photographic evidence as well. So go check out his Facebook page, Repository International of Paranormal Photographs and Videos, also known as RIPPV. This is really an awesome place, you guys, where people can share video and photo evidence from spirits to UFOs to cryptids, just to everything that's unknown, unexplained, and bizarre. Doesn't just have to be about spirits and ghosts. What's cool is that every photo and video is documented. I mean, the location, the date, crediting the person who took it, etc. The idea came to Skull Lion when he did an interview with Coast to Coast George Norrie and people started sending him photos from all over the country. Photos that they wanted him to analyze. We're going to hear more about RIPPV later on. Without further ado, let me welcome on my amazing guest. Tim Skolion, man, it's been a while since we last talked. Everything's spooky. Welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to start talking about the paranormal because I've been sort of out of it with the COVID-19 outbreak and the fact that we can't go anywhere or do any of the things that we're normally used to doing. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. I definitely miss going on investigations and once all this craziness is over, where is the first place you plan to go to do some investigating? Well, 
I'm working currently on my fourth book, and that is going behind the paranormal television shows. And what I'm doing is I'm basically basically getting the photographic evidence that the TV shows did not. And I'm most anxious to get out to a couple places in Arizona. One I know that you enjoy specifically, Tombstone. And there's a place right down below Tombstone called Bisbee. I'd like to get over to uh, Flagstaff, and uh, I believe there's a couple other places that aren't coming to mind right off the bat, but Arizona's going to be my next main hunting ground. Yeah, you know, Tim, Arizona is such a gorgeous place. I have family who lives there and very good family friends, and I absolutely adore Arizona. Tombstone has really become one of my favorite places. It really has, and... I haven't been to Bisbee, but that's definitely on my list of places to go to. But I know you've gone to Jerome. Jerome's a really neat place. I don't know what it is about those little old mining towns, you know, just so much history and so much going on. If it weren't for the crazy heat, because last time I was there, it was like 118 degrees. I would, I wouldn't mind living there. <laughs> no, I don't mind the heat and this is coming from somebody that lives on the East Coast in, in Virginia, and the fact is that even 118 degrees out in the West is not as bad as, say, 95 to 100 degrees here on the East Coast because of humidity. So here over on the East Coast, in the high 90s, I'm sweating profusely. My clothes get soaking wet, and out there in the West, it could be 118, and I'm barely sweating. Yeah, you got a good point there, I guess. I, you know, I'm in North Carolina part of the time, and yeah, the humidity is just absolutely killer. I'm right there with you when it comes to sweating. It is really neat that you're going to these places that these TV shows that are based on paranormal have gone to, and it seems like you're getting incredible evidence. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, what's your most memorable moments doing this, and where are these locations? Well, so far, I've been to uh, probably about a dozen places, and a couple of them are in Arizona. Like, like you were mentioning, Jerome, Arizona. I get some great stuff, not only at the Grand Hotel, but also just on the streets, as well as the Firefly, which is kind of a uh, novelty store with an interesting story. I've also been to, well, this wasn't originally on my list, but there are two places where I didn't go to find ghosts, and I found them anyway, and that is at the Grand Canyon. They have a rustic old hotel right on the south rim, and it's called the El Tavar. And I've got some amazing pictures of ghosts there. I went up to Antelope Canyon on the northern Arizona-Utah border by Page. And I was just looking to get some photos of the beautiful sandstone formations in Antelope Canyon. And I ended up getting ghosts. And what, what I found out interestingly was that there was a group of Europeans that came there to... Well, go through the canyon like I was and out in Arizona if the uh, if it rains sometimes even 50 miles away it can 
flood in places that you're not expecting it, and it flooded in Antelope Canyon and washed these these tourists that were there from Europe away mm. and killed all 11 of them. The only one that survived was the guide. And wow. when I was when I was in the canyon, this is right when I first started. I felt this cold chill, this cold wind go by me and. Like you were saying just a minute or so ago, it was really hot out. I, I think it was at least about 110 out at the time. And I wonder, wondered what where that came from. And I wasn't even thinking of ghosts at the time. I was just thinking, you know, is the weather changing outside? And I didn't know this until later, but when I, when I started examining the photographs closely, I discovered that I had captured ghosts. They, they weren't huge, they weren't really obvious, and when you're looking through the tiny viewfinder of the camera, it would have been hard for me to have seen them, but once I got them to my computer screen and blew them up, I could tell that there was a mist, and ghosts often travel in mists together, and if you look at the mist closely, you can see the faces or partial faces of, I would say, at least six or seven different people within that. And so I was totally amazed at that. Another interesting place that I went to was the MGM Grand Hotel. I don't know if you heard about it. It had a disastrous fire, and I think there were 88 people that died for that fire. Oh, my God. This happened a few years ago. And what I decided I was going to go in and try to photograph around the casino. What I didn't know is you're not allowed to do that, so... I only captured about five or six photos before the security came over and told me I had to shut down and that I wasn't allowed and to get out. But I did find some ghosts there. And, and the strange thing was what I didn't understand, what I didn't know was that the MGM Grand Casino that burned is a different building than the present day MGM Grand. It, I think they said that it had become the Venetian, the one that burned. They remodeled it and they constructed the Venetian there and they built another MGM Grand further down the street. But I was, even though I was in the wrong place, I was able to get quite a few ghosts in those photos, in that short little photo section that I took of the casino area where people were gambling. And of course, I wasn't interested in photographing the people. In fact, I, I would uh, black out their faces so they couldn't be recognized just in case they weren't supposed to be there. But the ghosts were pretty interesting. One, one of the most memorable was a, uh, a fellow, he is uh, a white guy with long brown hair and he was in a white shirt and blue jeans and sandals. So it was a whole body apparition and the whole back of his head was missing. So I'm kind of assuming that he committed suicide and he blew off the whole back of his head. But yet he was there in that casino watching people gamble. Interesting. That's pretty mind-blowing. And that's not the first time you've captured somebody that you believe has committed suicide, right? I remember the first time we had a discussion, it always stuck with me how there was a picture that you took and 
wasn't it like a gentleman, part of his face was missing and you couldn't understand why? Yeah, that was here in, in Colonial Williamsburg at the Peyton Randolph house. And the guy, he had come in to see Peyton Randolph, who was a famous lawyer at the time. And of course, you couldn't walk right in and talk to Peyton because he was so important. Not only was he a lawyer, but he was the speaker of the Virginia House of Burgesses. So he was escorted into a parlor where he had to wait for Mr. Randolph to come to see him. And in the meantime, I discovered that he was so distraught that he pulled out a pistol, inserted it in his mouth, and of course, ended his life there. When I first captured the photo, I didn't know that story. And I wondered why the whole area around the mouth and the nose was all black and mottled. And later when I found out the story of the man committing suicide, then the photo made sense. And this isn't the first time I've I've discovered somebody that's taken their lives. And so to me, as somebody that has photographed quite a few suicides, the spirits seem just as miserable over on the other side as they were before they took their life. So evidently suicide isn't the answer. Right. It's heartbreaking to think life isn't worth living where you're just going to do that. That's so permanent. And that would make sense that you're, you know, miserable on the other side. Like, I've dealt with, like, grumpy spirits and happy spirits and whatever. I think that what you are in life, it kind of follows you. I don't think you do this dramatic, huge change in your opposite and death. I mean, what I don't know, maybe, but... And maybe each case is different, but that's very interesting. But, you know, Tim, you are such a fantastic ghostographer, a photographer of the spirits. Since we first started talking, I've been a fan of your amazing work. Talk, if you will, about your very, very first picture that you took, that you saw something you simply just could not explain. You know, that was it. My first actual face with a human likeness was the one that I just described. Oh, wow. And uh, I had gotten just previous to that, just a few days previous to that, a a photo that was a light anomaly. And being new to this at the time, what what I did was I went online to see if other people had, had attempted to do or had already succeeded or written books or anything like that on on taking multiple photos of ghosts, and I couldn't find anything. And what I did find about these light anomalies is that some people were ascribing to them the moniker lens flare, and they were saying that there was existing light that was going through the lens, reflecting off and creating a rainbow-like effect that came across on the photograph. And I thought, well, okay, that sounds reasonable, so I... I started to dismiss the light anomalies. But what I would find later on is that uh, these light anomalies, like the ones that I had just gotten for the very first time, they were moving in subsequent photos. And in other cases, they were shape-shifting. And if that were not enough, light anomalies would sometimes appear behind objects in the photograph. Now, you know, if it was 
something that was created inside the camera in the lens itself, it would appear over top of everything in the photograph. It couldn't be behind everything. And so from then I started to think of these things that, you know, I think that they're mistaken, that they're not lens flares. And I started to research into the relationship between life and light and started to discover that there were numerous connections between light and life. And so maybe that's something that we become after we lose our flesh and blood body. And it's something that doesn't look like what we would expect, but it is energy. It's conscious energy and it can think. Right. Absolutely. And that's really interesting stuff. And, you know, Tim... (laughs) I have your book actually right here in my hand, Haunted Historic Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia with Breakthrough Ghost Photography. And I got it about a year ago for Christmas and I absolutely love it. And I just have to brag real quick. I love that I have such neat, talented, amazing friends. This book is great, you guys. You need to get it because what he was just talking about, this book is absolutely jam-packed with pictures, with photographic evidence, with apparitions, with just faces, with those light anomalies, and all different colors and sizes and shapes and different things on different buildings at Colonial Williamsburg. I mean, Tim, you really did a great job with this book. Thank you so much. And what's what's so odd about it, what was... First off, it was something that I would never have expected to be doing because I was a skeptic when I started. And second off is that I discovered so many things that I did not think were possible or that were reality, yet these things are showing up in photographs. And they are just mind-blowing when you see some of them. Absolutely. They are absolutely mind-blowing. So we want I want to talk a little more about the book and some of the things that I saw in it. But real quick, Tim, how can people who are interested in buying this book, where can they find it? Well, they can go to Schiffer Publishing, which is the website of the publisher that, that obviously published it. But, of course, Amazon is much easier. And do you have the first edition or the second edition of my book? Does it have a reddish-looking cover, or is it more of a green color? Let's see. Oh, on the back, anyways, it's reddish. Okay. Yeah, I think it might be the first one. See, what happened was that after I published that, I published a part two to the first book, and then while I was making part two, I had gotten so many more better photos of the places that I had researched for part one that I decided to go back and redo part one and put the better photos in. Oh, very neat. Yeah, it's a great book, you guys, because not only does it show pictures, but it talks about the history on these buildings and some of the deaths that occurred and, like, you know, the spirits that are there. And it's just a really great read. And Actually, Tim, you know, in one of the pictures you took that's in the book, it's a window that several faces are looking out of, you know, and I think you called it a gathering of ghosts in one of Williamsburg's inns. 
That was one that really blew me away. The more you look at it, the more you see. I mean, at first I thought I just saw a couple, you know, a few faces and looking at it more and more, I saw eight faces and one tiny looking orb-like thing that had a face too in the corner. It's just kind of like, the more you look at it, it's like, wow, I'm seeing a lot more than I did before. Can you talk a little more about that picture? Do you know which picture I'm talking about The at one of the inns? Yeah. First off, what's interesting is that is a five-star inn, and uh, people are paying big bucks to stay there and to eat there, and it is so very haunted, and yet I don't believe that the ghosts are not aggressive. They're not a poltergeist-type ghost, and so a lot of people just aren't aware of how many ghosts are in and around that area. And a lot of the researchers here in Colonial Williamsburg, the archaeologists, the historians, believe that Somewhere right around the inn or near the inn, they had a pauper's unmarked graveyard. So all the people that were too poor to have a formal burial with, say, a tombstone, they were buried in that area where were near the Williamsburg Inn stands. And what I've found so often is that ghosts will move together and very often times they move together in what I would call a mist. It looks like a, a mist of white light and I photographed these before and I've even had some other people send in photos to me of these mists before and when you look at them closely you can see that there are multiple faces in the mist. And sometimes the faces aren't complete, you know, like sometimes you'll just see a pair of eyes other times you'll see the eyes and the nose, and sometimes you'll see the whole face fairly clearly. But the idea is that they move together, and if they don't appear in a mist, oftentimes they'll appear in a place like a window or a mirror, and there will be a whole group of them. Now, there will be dominant ghosts, and these ghosts seem to have more power to appear clearly and more distinctly and oftentimes larger and then there will be others that will be much much smaller and not as clear or they will have features of their and i call them holograms because that's essentially what they are they will have features missing from their hologram for example i took a picture in peyton randolph house that same place where i first captured that suicide and I just captured the corner of a mirror, and there was an African-American that I believe was the slave woman that uh, used to work for Betty Randolph, and her face was extremely well-formed, and it was very large. Basically, it was the size of the human head, and it was very well-formed. And you, you could tell every de detail about this woman's face. And yet, surrounding her were, I would say, baseball-sized appearances or holograms of other, what I believe to be slaves' heads. And so they were so much smaller and so much uh, less clear than what her face was and yet they're all together there in that one corner part of the mirror making an appearance as if they're all together. Wow. That is incredible. Is that in the book? 
I believe that's in my uh, the second edition of my first book. Okay, yeah, that that would be interesting to see. One picture that really just kind of blew my mind in this first book is it looks like a picture of, I believe, a woman, and I'm probably saying this wrong, but it was at the Ewing, Ewing house, the Ewing house, and it has, like, all those eyes. You could see all these, like, distinct eyes just, like, kind of staring back at you, so it's, like, one full, you know, it's, like, a woman, and then you see all these, like, eyes surrounding her. That one was crazy. <laughs> Isn't that weird? And, and you know what's yeah. funny is when I was a kid and uh, I watched those Charlie Brown specials and you see the, the kids walking down the street in their costumes doing their trick-or-treating and in the special they'll have all these eyes in the bushes looking around and I thought that was just a bunch of phony baloney uh, and yet I've gotten a lot of other photos like that where you see just pairs of eyes. Another thing that's interesting about that is that the eyes are usually the clearest thing to show up on any type of apparition. Now, sometimes it'll just be eyes, and other times, like I was mentioning before, it'll be a partial face or sometimes a full face. Yeah. The eyes, the windows to the soul, evidently, that's a a moniker that's more true than uh, sometimes you'd like to believe. Absolutely, and I never thought about that, but yeah, the eyes, very important and very clear, and yeah, once again, you guys, you really should check out that book. It is really awesome. Again, it's Haunted Historic Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia, with Breakthrough Ghost Photography, just simply fantastic, and now, Tim, I know... Huh, throughout the years, you've captured several apparitions and faces very clear faces in your photography and this might be even a hard one to think of because there's so many but out of all of those which one stands out the most to you which is your favorite out of all those pictures well if you uh, the first book which you should have right in front of you if you turn to the chapter on the brian house which i, I don't have the chapters memorized in my head but it, it's about uh, three two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through the book the Brian House, what, what I had been doing so far is I discovered that a lot of times the ghosts would appear in windows. And so whenever I took a photo, now this is early on, and when I was looking, I would just be looking in the windows or perhaps in the mirrors see if I could see anything in my photos. And what I discovered is that they don't always just appear in the windows. Sometimes they're outside of the houses. And I stumbled on this quite by accident. And another thing about this photo is that I had also come to believe that, well, the ghosts are only going to be at the original buildings. And there are 88 original buildings Hmm. from the 18th century in Colonial Williamsburg. And the rest of them, around 350, are rebuilt. So I thought, well, ghosts wouldn't be inhabiting the rebuilt buildings. They'd only be in the ones that were original. And so I was taking a photo of an original building, and what I'd come to discover quite by accident is that across the street, now see, I had a wide-angled lens on at the time, and I captured just the corner of the house across the street from it, and I discovered that there were two figures there standing. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't say standing. They were floating above the fence. 
at the corner of the house. And there was a African-American woman and she had her hand around the side corner of the house. And the hand wasn't very well formed, but behind her was a an African-American man with his hand over her mouth as if he's about to kidnap her or do something terrible to her. And his eyes are uh, red, almost glowing. And it just gives me the creeps to look at the, the photo. And it's a telltale of something that went on there that none of Williamsburg's history has recorded. I researched that home and I looked at every document about that home and I could find nothing nefarious. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this picture right now, Tim, and it is very chilling, to say the least. When I first saw it, before I even read the description, I thought that it was perhaps two two men i didn't even make me think that wow that's a hand over the mouth and absolutely i see that now but yeah you see the hatred in this man behind this woman and you see the plead look in her eyes like help me you know and that's that's very very scary it does make you wonder what the heck happened there at that time and just makes it even more mysterious that there's no reports or no documents or no cases, but something obviously happened. Yep. And what later happened that kind of affirmed my original thoughts was that I had a friend of mine that, now I don't do EVPs personally, and that may change in the future, but right now I don't. And he went over to that spot and he had my book with him and he had the book open and he asked, who was in the picture. And he got the name Angelina. And after that, he asked, who's the guy behind it? And the EVP said, cousin. And then it said, bad man. Oh, my God. I just got chills. So the next question was, what happened to Angelina? And it said, wrote noose around the neck drug off wow it's anybody's guess as to what happened but it doesn't sound too good from there so I kind of think that uh, a murder occurred there and I'm the only witness with that photo that is bone chilling Tim that's absolutely heartbreaking obviously Angelina did not see a good end and I hope she's in a better place now, and it's good that you got that evidence and that her name is known, you know, that she did exist. Yeah. Oh, that's very eerie. That's a great capture for sure. And I just have to say, if you, when you do go to Tombstone, please have a recorder and try to get some EVPs, because I tell you, that place did not disappoint. It was phenomenal, and so was Jerome. But yeah, Tombstone was just... It was insane. I got EVPs so many locations. And I'm a debunker. I debunk a lot of things, you know. But these were, like, Mm -hmm. legit, phenomenal electronic voice phenomena. So have you ever looked at one of your photos and say, hey, 
I actually know that person or have somebody verify and identify who that apparition is besides the, uh, you know, we know about Angelina, but in another case. That's uh, an interesting story. I don't know if I discussed this with you last time uh, I did a show with you, but one of the most interesting was a friend of mine that had asked me to go to photograph. He was a member of a hunt club, and he had a room in the hunt club that he'd, he'd often go to on weekends to do a little hunting or fishing. The club had a lot of acreage, and it uh, was right on the Chickahominy River. And so he had told me that he had seen what he called a white lady going through the hallway, and it kind of frightened him, and he wanted to see if I could get a photograph of the, of the white lady. Now, I was kind of reluctant to do that because it didn't have anything to do with any of the places that I had been researching. It wasn't in Williamsburg at all, and the place did not have any type of historical importance that it would intrigue people if I wrote a story about that. So I was kind of reluctant, but after uh, a few times of requesting it, I decided just to satisfy his curiosity that I would go out and photograph the place. So... I did. I went out. I took several hundred photos all around the place. And when I got back and I looked through all of them, I found several faces, but none of them were of his white lady. In fact, none of them were women. They were all men. So I sent him a message on Facebook. I said, I'm sorry, Kenny. I did not find your white lady. I sent him a couple of the photos of the guys that I had found at the place, and I said, these are the clearest and the best photos of any ghosts that I got there, but of course none of them were the white lady that he was specifically looking for because he had seen them, seen her. So he must have been on Facebook at the time, and he messaged me immediately right back, and it had OMG referring to one of the photos, that's my best friend. What? He died in the Williamsburg Hospital in 1996. Hmm. Now, this was just a couple years ago. But he had died in the hospital from heart problems. And yet, instead of haunting the hospital, he was out haunting his very favorite place in the world, the hunt club, where he loved to go every weekend. And so that that was interesting. Now, the... um, photo it had showed him as he looked in the older but he looked the ghost photo looked close enough to the guy that there were four other members of the hunt club that positively identified the photo as that of what i'm calling kenny's best friend i'm I'm not going to publicly say his name because uh i'm doing not doing that out of respect for his family right no absolutely positively identified that is awesome. I mean, that is that is so neat that not one person, not two, but three, but four people identified the same person saying, yeah, that's so-and-so. That's, that is quite the evidence. So, yeah, you went there trying to find this lady in white, but you ended up finding somebody else that many people identified and... And it would make sense that he's still there if he loved being there and spending time there and was comfortable there, knew people there, family and friends. I mean, why wouldn't somebody be there, you know, if they had ties like that? So that's kind of neat that he's like, you know, still there in spirit. 
Yeah, people often think that uh, the ghosts are in the graveyards or they're in the hospitals or they are in uh, the places where they die, and it's sometimes the case, but not always. Right. No, absolutely. You know, Tim, I've gotten, I've, I've investigated so many places from cemeteries to jails, to asylums, to mines, brothels. I just think it's like where they were most comfortable or, you know, and, and you're right. There's sometimes where I've gone to cemeteries and I've gotten a lot of evidence that there's activity there. It's neat to know that there's places like that, you know, like the local hangouts or the clubs that people, you know, had gone to for years and were most comfortable and, you know, admired the most. And, hey, it's like I was there much time when I was living. Why not be there in death now, you know, and still be part of the action? Absolutely. And, and you know, something else is that a lot of times we, we tend to think that ghosts are locked into one specific place. And they're not. Now, uh, I'll give you an example that I don't have a photograph of, and that's of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln has not only been seen at the White House in Washington, D.C., but he's been seen at his former home in Springfield, Illinois. His ghost has been seen at Fort Monroe here in Virginia, and it's also been seen at the Confederate White House in Richmond. That's four different places, many miles apart, that he's been seen. Now, another example is that uh, I photographed a place here in Williamsburg, and it's called Christiana Campbell's Tavern. And it was a favorite place that George Washington hung out. Everybody believes that he's up at the at his former home in, in Mount Vernon, and yet I captured a likeness. Now, I'm not claiming absolutely for sure that it's Washington, but I've uh, posted in one of my blogs the photographs alongside some of the paintings of his face, and they look pretty similar. So although I'm not claiming that, I, I leave that up to the person looking at it. Here's Washington down here in Williamsburg instead of, being only up at his Mount Vernon home haunting that place. And I've also discovered ghosts walking the streets of Williamsburg many times. I've photographed them walking the streets. So evidently they're not locked into one specific house or building. They're free to roam around, perhaps roam the earth. I don't know. Right, and that makes sense. I mean, I I totally agree that they're not just bound to one location. So speaking of Colonial Williamsburg, real quick, I know not right now, obviously, because of the situation with COVID, but you usually run these wonderful tours. And I tell you, once things are up to normal again, I definitely plan to go sometime. So, you know, I could get the tour from the best guy around there. But when things get back to normal... When do your tours usually take place? Usually during the summertime, they're every evening. I've got one at 8.30 and one at 10 o'clock. And the one at 8.30 covers the eastern part of Williamsburg, and the one at 10 o'clock covers the western part. Because I just have so many photographs in so many different places that I've gotten some intriguing, compelling photos that I had to divide it up. And... 
I've got so many that I can't do even the Eastern tour, everything on the Eastern tour in an hour to an hour and a half. I have to pick and choose, which I usually do based on who's on the tour and what they're interested in. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's so many buildings there. It's like that would have to be a super long tour to hit every single thing. And that that makes total sense. Yeah, it's one of those things that I've always wanted to go there. And I I definitely need to once this craziness ends. And you guys should, too, if you're in that area or you're planning a trip there when we're allowed to travel again and uh, take a tour with Tim Skolion. Definitely worth checking out at some point. Now, earlier in the episode, I mentioned your group, Repository International of Paranormal Photographs and Videos, and I want you to talk a little more about this. I mean, what a fantastic group. Well, although there aren't, there aren't a lot of people out there that have made it their life's work to try to go out and get proof of the paranormal photographs, a lot of people have sometimes accidentally gotten photos of ghosts and or cryptids or aliens or anything like that. And so I'm interested in having people that have these type of photos to join the group and to post these photos so that others, particularly the people that do not believe, can see that this is a worldwide phenomenon. It's not just something that a few people that seem to be on the lunatic fringe are claiming and that these photos are not being manufactured and photoshopped, that they are real photos, they're genuine, they're not the doctor, and they're showing an alternate reality that is really there. And so if enough people accumulate enough evidence with a group like this, then it's going to be hard for people to refute it and say, no, that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as cryptids or aliens or any of that stuff. It's all a figment of your imagination. Well, if we accumulate enough proof, the evidence eventually will be irrefutable. Right, and I could jump on board with that. I am going to go and join that group and I have several photos that I'm very proud of that I've taken throughout the years and I would love to share them with you and everybody also and see what you think about them. But it is neat. You know, it's very special evidence getting those photographic and video evidence. You know, it's like you're not seeing this with your naked eye. That's not there in front of you. And yet here these things are all of a sudden that you can't explain. And I just, I love that. The unexplained is just fantastic. And I bet you there are thousands of people that have at least one good photo of something that is an anomaly that could be posted there. And like I said, the evidence accumulates. Right. Absolutely. And with me anyways, the investigator in me, when I see somebody else's picture, I'm just like, oh my God, where was this taken? How, like, you know, what's the history there? Did somebody die there? Like, any crazy events happen? Like, what happened there? You know, like, my mind just starts racing. I get so excited. It's like Christmas to me. (laughs) Absolutely. And some people have asked me, why have I, instead of just ghosts, why have I included other things like cryptids and aliens? And that's because sometimes this stuff gets intertwined. Now, for example, in my second book, 
on Colonial Williamsburg, I've got a couple things in there that do not look like they're from this earth. Now, they're obviously apparitions, but they don't look like anything human or anything that's lived on the earth in the past. And uh, one, one thing in the first book, it appears like a green flying saucer. Now, you can't detect anything that looks, shall I say, like a machine. You can't see nuts, bolts, or or anything in particular that's metal on there, but it does have the shape of saucer. So I'm not quite sure what these things are, but I, I noticed that uh, a while back there was a professor, John Mack, that uh, he was a psychiatrist that looked into alien kidnappings and abductions, and he was one of the first people that I've ever heard to say that all of these things are connected somehow and it has to do with life in other dimensions. So I'm inclined to believe that based on the photographic evidence that I've accumulated and, of course, some of the things that i put in my books. Ooh, that's eerie. Yeah, when it, <laughs> when it comes to aliens and UFOs and stuff like that, that it totally freaks me out it really does I know they exist and I've seen I've had like you know experiences myself but yeah it's like oh boy I'd dance with the spirits anytime <laughs> yeah and let me give you just one example now this is from my second book and I did you know you have to remember that uh, this is back in 1781 when slavery was the rule here in Virginia mm. and I took a picture of several of the windows in the first African-American church, which was actually a stable at the time, and they converted it to a church every Sunday, and that's where they attend Christian services. So here I am taking a photo of this building, expecting to see African-American ghost faces in the windows, and instead I get this yellow-looking creature, I've got to say it, it looks alien. Wow. Now, where did that come from, and what's it doing there in Colonial Williamsburg in an 18th century reproduction building. I have no idea. That's a, quite the mystery. Ooh, Tim, you're giving you're doing a good job at giving me the chills tonight. <laughs> That's for well, sure. I, I've been doing this for uh, nine years now. Yeah. And and I've got to say that uh, so far I haven't been hurt in any way. So uh, hopefully that will continue. Right, absolutely. And so before we part ways tonight, Tim, how can people find you on social media who are interested in seeing more of your adventures? And I know you have that, the, you know, RIPPV, which is awesome. And you guys need to check that out, especially if you have pictures or photographs or videos with the unknown, but how else can they find you? Well, I've got uh, two sites on Facebook. Uh, one is Tim Scullin, an author, and that has the photos and connections to my blog, and my blog is on WordPress, and if you're interested in seeing more photos, I would go to the WordPress and log in and see a lot of my posts on there because they have a lot of different photos of the places that I've taken. And I'm on uh, Twitter. Used to be on Instagram until my site got hacked. And mm. I have the uh, 
I have the website for my ghost tour of Colonial Williamsburg. That's ghostographer.com. That's where you can book it and see some photos there, too. And, and by the way, when, when I do take people on tour, I have a large Samsung Galaxy tablet, and I will take them to the front of the house or building that I took the photo at and actually point to the window. And not only do I do that, but I encourage people to take their own photos. And very often they've gotten some interesting anomalies in their photos. Not always the same thing that I've gotten. Sometimes it's completely different, but it's obvious that it's an anomaly. So, uh, yeah, that's how you can get in touch with me. And, uh, yeah, as soon as the COVID-19 lockdown is over, uh, come join me on a tour. Absolutely. It's on my bucket list, my friend. And I do, I just have to say real quick that I love that you do that, that you have that tablet and you show the people right here is where I took this picture right at this window or you know door frame or whatever I think that's genius and it's great because they're not only hearing about it they're seeing that evidence they're seeing that face they're seeing that that object or apparition or whatever it is that you're showing them and I think that is really awesome and yeah I would go crazy with taking pictures I think there for sure no, thank you so much. Oh, Tim, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It's very, very appreciated. And I know times are rough right now for everyone, but things are going to get better. And when things are back to normal, I'm going to go on one of those tours with you. All right. I'll be expecting you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tim. All right. You have a great one. What a great guy. It's always just a pleasure talking with Tim Skullion. And if you ever plan a trip to historic Colonial Williamsburg, please go check him out. Go take one of his kick-ass tours. And remember, if you have pictures of the unexplained that you'd like to share with Tim, send the unaltered pictures his way at RIPPV on Facebook. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally fantastic. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. Just find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Basically, wherever you go to listen to your other awesome podcasts, you'll surely find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. And don't forget to tell your friends all about it and subscribe now. New episodes released every Monday. This week's special city shoutouts go out to... Bangalore, India. Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Home of the Mothman. Jefferson City, Missouri. Citrus Heights, California. And Gresham, Oregon. Thank you all for listening. And a huge shout-out for this week's guest, Tim Skolion. See you next week.